be reading from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. You are either cold nor hot. Would you that you are either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will speak to you out of my mouth. For for you to say, I am rich, I prosper, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are rich, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. My crowd. What a super Sunday morning crowd. You have worked hard and prayed hard and invited hard and people have come. They've come in abundance and I'm excited about being here. Now, I've got to ask you folks, did you see me on TV? Uh, Did you see me on the game show, The Price is Right? For 16 and a half years, I preached at the Hendersonville Church of Christ where I currently live in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And for the last... Oh, eight years or so, I've been going all across America doing some preaching. And some time ago, I was out in California doing some preaching. And one day, we decided to go down to Hollywood to the game show, The Price is Right. And I was sitting there in the audience, and all of a sudden, I heard my name, Alan Parker. Alan's my first name. Alan Parker, come on down. And I went on down. Did you guys see me on the game show, The Price is Right? I got on that thing. Not only did I get on the show, I got on the stage. Because I won the bid. Not only did I get on the stage, I got into the showcase. Because I did the wheel. You guys know what I'm talking about. I did that wheel. It landed on a dollar that got me $1,000. Put me into the showcase. Folks, not only did I get into the showcase, I won the showcase. On the game show, the price is right. I won the showcase. Is there anybody in this audience that needs a snowmobile? That's what I want, a snowmobile. And I want a jet ski, a wave runner. And I want a trip to Maui. And I want a trip to Canada. And I want a lawnmower and a weed eater and a blower. It was about a $33,000 day. Pretty good year and a day, wouldn't you say? And see, that was a big deal for me. Uh, It was a big deal to be out in California preaching for that church. It was a big deal to be on the game show, The Price is Right. Let me tell you what's a big deal. It's a big deal to be in Savannah, Tennessee. It's a big deal to preach where Barry preaches every Sunday. Barry has planted a lot of seed and I'm here for a day to put a little water on that seed and God will give the increase. But what a what an honor. What a big deal to be with you and thank you very, very much for the invitation. I want you to go with me please to Revelation chapter 3. Everybody take a Bible and go with me please to the last book in the book. The book of Revelation chapter 3. And as you turn there, let me explain these five chairs. Everybody here today is sitting in one of five chairs. I say you are sitting in one of five chairs. You may be in chair number one. Chair number one is for somebody who's never become a Christian. He's never been baptized into Christ but he's in a safe relationship with God. The two-year-old boy, the three-year-old girl, the babies in the audience would be sitting right here. They're not saved, 
Because they've never been lost. They're in a safe relationship with God. Not able to understand the difference in right and wrong, darkness and light, good and evil. Not able to understand the statement that I'm about to make to you right now. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. He's the Son of the living God. Not able to understand that. Never been baptized, but safe in the arms of Jesus. And they're sitting right here in chair number one. Now, you may be in chair number two. Chair number two is for somebody who is able to understand the statement that I'm about to make to you right now. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's God. He's the Son of the living God. He's able to understand that. He's able to understand what Jesus taught in John chapter 3. You must be born again, born of water and of the Spirit. But He has chosen not to obey God. He's never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Or maybe He's gone through a form of baptism. Maybe water was sprinkled upon Him. Maybe water was poured on His body. Maybe He was even immersed in water. But for reasons other than faith in Christ, peer pressure, his mother made him to join a particular religious group for reasons other than faith in King Jesus. He's never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins and is sitting right here in chair number two. Now, that leaves the rest of us. Those of us who are baptized believers in one of these three chairs. And I am curious, how many Christians do we have in this audience? If you uh, believe in Jesus and you have put on Jesus in baptism, be proud of it. May I see your hand, please? Look around, folks. That's what? 80, 85% of us. And we're sitting in one of these three chairs. You may be in chair number three. Chair number three is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer. And he's not perfect. Nobody is perfect. He doesn't cross every T. He does not dot every I. But more than anything in the world, he wants to please God. <clears throat> more than anything in the world, he wants to go to heaven. And when he comes to Jesus Christ, he's Mr. Excitement. He loves talking about Jesus. He loves singing about Jesus. He loves telling his neighbors and friends about Jesus. As Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 11, he's fervent in spirit. He's just boiling with enthusiasm. And everybody knows. I mean, people at work, people at school, everybody knows this guy is the real deal. He is all in for Jesus. And he's sitting right here in chair number three. You say, Brother Keith, that's not me. I'm not exactly Mr. Hot on Fire. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're sitting in chair number four. Chair number four is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer, and spiritually he's cold and spiritually he's dead. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody who's cold and dead spiritually? Maybe you're cold and dead spiritually. Over the years, you did not intend for your relationship with Jesus to get like this. But let's just be honest. You have fallen out of love with Jesus. 
Uh, you very seldom come to church on Sunday night. Uh, you very seldom come back on Wednesday night. In all likelihood, you will not be here at 12.30 today. You probably won't even stay for lunch because you have more important things to do. And when you do come to church, you kind of slip in and slump down and slip out. And if you see the preacher, you might say, hey, nice sermon. But you know that there's something that's missing in, in your relationship with God. Spiritually you're cold and spiritually you're dead. And you're sitting right here in chair number four. You say, Brother Keith, that's not me either. I'm not exactly Mr. Uh, hot on Fire, but neither am I like ice. Where do I sit? Take your time. Right here. You may be in chair number five. Chair number five is for somebody who's a Christian, a baptized believer. And he's not in chair number three. He's not alive. And he's not in chair number four. He's not dead. He's somewhere in between. On a scale of one to ten, he's maybe a four or a five or a six spiritually. He comes to church some. And he prays a little. And he gives some, but he just kind of... Uh, what would you say? Middle of the road? In between? Average? Jesus called it lukewarm. He's a baptized believer, but he's just kind of lukewarm. Let me ask you a question. Be honest. I'm asking you. Where do you sit today? Which chair are you sitting in? Are you in chair number one? You've never become a Christian, but you're not able to understand the difference in right and wrong, darkness and light. Or maybe you're right here in chair number two. You've chosen not to obey God. You've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Or maybe I have a feeling that some of us are right here. We're not perfect, but we are all in for Jesus. And then maybe there are some who are right here. Spiritually, you're cold, you're dead, you're out of touch. And then I wonder how many of us are sitting right here. We're not hot, we're not cold, we're just kind of lukewarm. So if I were to call your name and ask you to come to the front and sit in the chair that best describes you and Jesus, honestly, which chair would you sit in? Well, that's the question we're going to focus in on for a few minutes in today's lesson. Now, you have your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 3, right? I want you to listen to what Jesus says to His church. His church at Laodicea. To the angel of the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans write, and then Jesus identifies himself. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, church. I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing, and I know that you're neither cold nor hot. Oh, I would, I wish that you either cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich. I'm increased with goods. 
I have need of nothing. And you know not, you do not know, you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. If I were to ask you the question, what is the greatest need of the Savannah Church of Christ? What would you say? I've been asked to talk to you today about keys to creating a great church family. What would make this family, this church, a great church family? What is the greatest need of the Savannah Church of Christ? Uh, don't say better visiting preachers, okay? What is, the, uh, what is the need of this church? You might say, Brother Keith, I believe that the greatest need of the church is the need for love. We need more love in the church. And I would say, boy, you're right. We do need more love in the church. We sang about love a few minutes ago. I think about what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. You might say, Brother Keith, I believe that the greatest need of the church is the need for prayer. We need prayer soldiers and we need prayer warriors. And I would say, you're right. Uh, we do need more prayer in the church. The Bible teaches pray constantly, pray always, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. You might say the greatest need of the church, well, that's the need for evangelism. We need to get here and knock on a few doors, set up Bible studies. We need to tell our neighbors and friends about the gospel. And I would say, boy, you're right. We, we, we do need more evangelism in the church. Mark 16, 15, going to all the world and preach the good news to everybody. And you know, we could just go on and on and on with need after need after need. Let me share with you what I believe is the greatest need in churches of Christ. As I travel all across America, and as I preach in about 45 different churches of Christ every year, in my judgment, this is just my opinion, okay? But in my judgment, the greatest need of the church is the need for... Well, sometimes we sing it when we sing hallelujah then the glory hallelujah amen hallelujah then the glory and then what do we sing audience and in my judgment that's the greatest need among the people of God I tell you what we need you want, you want to make this church a great church family I tell you what we need we need a good old fashioned heaven born God sent Spirit filled back to the Bible revival. The church of Christ at Laodicea needed revival. They were not hot. They were not cold. They were lukewarm. They were right here. And Jesus said, I tell you what I want to do. I want to, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Let me tell you about a revival that I preached in some time ago in Virginia. You ever been to the state of Virginia? It's a beautiful state. I drove over 600 miles to get there. The revival started on Sunday morning. It was to go through Wednesday night. And I drove over 600 miles to get there. And I start by preaching my very best sermon. It wasn't this one. It was another one. And I preached on Sunday morning and I preached on Sunday night. Monday night came and guess what the people in Virginia started talking about? They started talking about closing the meeting early. It started on Sunday morning. It was go through Wednesday night. Monday night came and they, they began to say, you know, we're not doing a lot of good. We're just kind of killing time. and Maybe we ought to end this thing early. Tuesday night came. Guess what they did? They closed the meeting early. 
that was to go through Wednesday night, but Tuesday night came and they said, you know, we just, uh, we think we've had enough. And uh, you can, uh, you can drive back to the state of Tennessee. So that's what I did. I got in my car and I drove back to the state of Tennessee. Guess what they paid me to preach? I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count. Nothing. Zero. Blank. Zilch. Now, I'm not complaining about it. I'm not fussing about it. In fact, I told them before I went, I told them on the phone, I said, you guys need a revival preacher? I said, sure. I'll be glad to come free of charge. And they thought that I was serious. <laughs> they took me up on it, paid me nothing. Now, they were not mean. They were not ugly. I mean, I marched back to the back, started shaking the folks out like I normally do, and nobody slapped me, nobody stole me, nobody spit in my face. They were not mean and ugly. They were just... Uh, Indifferent. Standoffish. Lukewarm. They were lukewarm. Do me a favor. Would you guys do me a favor? Love me or hate me. But don't treat me lukewarmly. Now I want to be loved. I like being loved, don't you? I mean, I get excited when I march back to the back and I get excited when some of the older ladies of the church walk up and give me a big old hug. Now, Sandra, my wife, gets excited when some of the young, pretty ladies walk up and give me a big old hug. But I like being loved. And I want you to love me. But if you can't love me, hate me, don't treat me lukewarmly. How many of you like lukewarm coffee? Yeah, we like it hot, don't we, Pete? Don't Lukewarm coffee. <laughs> And you know, the way that we feel about lukewarmness is the way that Jesus feels about lukewarmness. Jesus says, church, you're not here and you're not here. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I want to, I want to, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Let me tell you about a preacher that I know, a fellow by the name of Brian. Brian is a preacher. In fact, Brian used to preach where my mother attends church. Uh, my mother attends a little country church outside of Huntsville, Alabama, and Brian used to be their preacher. Some time ago, Brian went into Huntsville to get him something to eat. It was a fast food place. He ordered a hamburger. He got that hamburger. He sat down. He unwrapped it. He took a big old bite of it, and he began chewing. And chewing... And chewing, and it would not chew. He didn't know what to do. You know, he was there in public. He didn't want to embarrass himself. But he had to spit it out. And there in his hamburger, he found a Band-Aid. A used, bloody Band-Aid. Now, folks, I like hamburgers, okay? You know, I'd like to eat one every week. Whether I need it or not, but can you imagine finding a used Band-Aid in your hamburger? Brian didn't know what to do. He went, up to the, he went up to the counter. He called for the manager. The manager came out. Brian explained the situation. Sir, there was a Band-Aid in my hamburger. You know what the manager said? Well, sir, uh, we'll be glad to fix you another one. Brian said, oh, no, I don't want another one. I want my money back. And, of course, they gave him his money back. But a few days later, he started doing some research, making some phone calls, and he found out that the Band-Aid had come off the hand of a 60- or 65-year-old man that was working in that restaurant. The man admitted it. He said, I went to work. There was a Band-Aid on my hand. I looked down. It was gone. Obviously, it got into that guy's hamburger. I'm not going to tell you the name of the place, okay? But they used to have a commercial... Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special order, don't upset us. All we ask is that you'll let us serve it your way. 
And that's the way that Brian, my preacher friend, wanted it. He wanted it his way instead. He got it the older man's way, band-aid and all. Now, when I heard that story, I responded like some of you. I thought, ugh. Ugh. Ooh. Brian, are you teasing? Keith, it really happened. There was a band-aid in my hamburger, and I thought, ugh. And that's the picture that I get when I read Revelation chapter 3. When Jesus looked at His people, His church at Laodicea, it was kind of like eating food and finding a used band-aid. Jesus said, church, you're not here and you're not here. You're not cold and you're not hot. You're a little bit too hot to be cold. You're a little bit too cold to be hot, but you're not hot, you're not cold. You're right here. You're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I tell you what I want to do. I want to, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Maybe your Bible says I want to vomit I want to vomit you. Maybe your Bible says, I want to spew, spew you. Now, folks, those aren't pretty words, are they? When you start talking about spit and spew and vomit and puke, see, that's not a pretty scene. This is not a pretty scene here in Revelation chapter 3. You know what the members of the church were saying? Let me show you what they were saying. Sir, what's your name? John. John? John, have you ever been to church at Laodicea? You've never been to our church? Oh, John. You've got to come and see us. You've never heard our preacher? Man, he's a great preacher. We've got the most dynamic song leader in the world. We've got some great elders. And they were kind of doing like this. They were patting themselves on the back and they were saying, Look at us! We're a good church. Hey, we are, we are wonderful. We're marching for the Master. And Jesus said, A good church? Church, you are wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. At Laodicea, they were saying, we can see, our eyes open, we can see spiritually. And Jesus said, church, you are B-L-I-N-D. You're blind. At Laodicea, they were saying, we, we are rich. Spiritually, we're rich. And Jesus said, rich, you are P-O-O-R. You're poor. At Laodicea, they were saying, my, we love the Lord. We're on fire for Jesus. We're going to heaven. And Jesus said, going to heaven? You're on fire? I tell you, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, folks, I did not come to condemn. And I did not come to blast. And I know I'm standing before some good people. But I did come to ask you a question. And the question is, where do you sit today? What kind of church is this church? What kind of Christian are you? I mean, if I were to call your name and ask you to come down one of these aisles to the front and sit in the chair that best describes you and the Lord, honestly, which chair would you choose? Let me ask you like this. Is Christianity to you kind of like a coat? A coat that you take off? Here's your Christianity. And you kind, of, uh, you kind of pitch it aside when you go home today. Your Christianity. And you say, you would never say this uh, verbally, but down deep you're thinking, you know, I've done my time, I've been to church, I, 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 I've, I've, I've sung and I've prayed and I've done communion. Now I'm going to live like I want to the rest of the week. I mean, if I want to cuss, I'll cuss. If I want to cheat, I'll cheat. If I want to be unkind, I'll be unkind. You know, I'm going to do my own thing the rest of the week. Now, when next Sunday comes, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take my Christianity and I'll put it back on 
and I'll go to church and I'll sing those songs and I'll bow, bow, bow my head when I pray and I'll, I'll do communion. I'll, I'll eat the bread and I'll, I'll drink the fruit of the vine. I'll be a Christian in church. And Jesus says, uh, are you serious? Are you teasing? Honestly. Where do you sit right now? Which chair are you sitting in? May I show you where Jesus wants you? Let me show you where Jesus wants us, folks. Right here. Right here. You want to be a great church family? You've got to be all in for Jesus. He wants you to be baptized. But He not only wants you to be a baptized believer, He wants your very best. When you sing, you don't just mumble through the songs. You, you sing from the heart. And when you pray, you pray from the heart. And when you give on Sunday, you don't just throw in what's left over. You give your best. He wants us to be all in for Him. You know why we ought to be all in for Jesus? By the way, that's the theme for this year, right? All in. Have you heard that? It's on the bulletin today. All in. He wants us to be all in for Him. You know why we should be all in for Him? Why do you think we ought to be all in for Him? Let me tell you why. He was all in for us. God so loved the world that He gave His monogenes, His only one-of-a-kind Son, John 3.16. We love Him. Why do we love Him? 1 John 4.19, because He first loved us. God commendeth His love to us and that while we were sinners, messed up people, He... He died for us. So yes, He wants you to be a baptized believer. But He wants you to be all in for Him. And the reason we're all in for Him is because He was all in for us. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. Just give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine. Imagine, if you will, that you're the parent of an eight-year-old boy. Everybody in this room. You're the mom, you're the dad of an eight-year-old kid. I also want you to imagine that there's a sickness, a virus in our world. Two people have died. The amazing thing about this virus, it has never before been identified. Never before been discovered. Maybe scientists and doctors are interested, but it doesn't mean much to you or to the rest of the world. But that virus for which there is no cure begins to spread. And deaths begin to multiply by the hundreds, yea, thousands. It spreads to Africa, to India, to the Middle East, to Europe. And people are dying right and left by the thousands. In fact, Europe is in a panic. Flights are flooded. And one day, our president, President Donald Trump, comes across national TV and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, the borders of the United States are closed. 
and they will remain closed until this plague. He's calling it a plague until this plague is under control. That night when you put your little boy to bed, Dad, he's saying, Daddy, Daddy, what's a plague? And your little girl is asking, why can't they just cure these people? And that night when you go to bed, you squeeze your mate just a little bit harder and you pray just a little bit longer than normal. The next day you get up, you flip on the TV and the first news story on Good Morning America causes you to drop your coffee cup on the table because lying in a New York City hospital is a postal worker and is dying of this strange virus for which there is no cure. You decide, man, I'm not going to go to work today because reports start coming in from all over America, California, Maine, Utah, Florida. I mean, that thing seems to be walking its way across our country, spreading like wildfire. Mayo Clinic is working around the clock. Scientists and doctors are working behind the scenes. But again, the news is dim. There's no cure for this virus. The next day you get up, you flip on the local AM radio station. Finally, there's good news. A cure has been found. A vaccine is being made. And people all across America are being tested to see who has the right blood type to make the serum. Two o'clock in the morning. There's a knock that comes to your door. You go to the door and you see a man standing there with a white coat on. He has a clipboard in his hand. And he says to you, sir, would you sign right here? Take your family down to the local church building. Your blood will be tested. Well, you gather your kids. I mean, they're crying. It's two o'clock in the morning. But you drive down here to the Savannah Church of Christ. And when you pull up into your parking lot, you can't believe your eyes. You've never seen so many cars in your life in your parking lot. Neighbors and friends from all over the area have gathered to have their blood tested. Well, you get out of the car. You wait in a very long line. They finally prick your finger. They test your blood. And a few minutes later, a doctor runs out into the parking lot. He screams a name. You didn't understand him. Sir, would you say it again? He says it a little bit louder. And your son, your eight-year-old boy, is tugging on your coat. He's saying, Daddy, they're calling my name. They're calling me. And before you can say a word, a doctor grabs your son by the hand. He starts leading your boy into this church building. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the deal? And this doctor looks at you and says, Sir, Dad, Mom, we believe your son's blood is clean. We believe that we can take his blood and make the medicine to save the world. We need to retest it. Let us retest it. And so they retest your kid's blood. And in just a few minutes, doctors and nurses start hugging and crying. And people start laughing in hysteria because your son's blood is clean and they can take his blood and make the medicine to save the world. But all of a sudden, a doctor walks up to you. He has a clipboard in his hand. You get it under a light and you say, well, what is it? You know what it is, don't you? It's a permission slip for your son. And you look at it very carefully and you notice that the number of pints of blood to be taken is left blank. And so you say to this doc, sir, it's blank. How many pints of blood are we talking about? And the doctor says, oh man, we, we had no idea it would be a kid. An eight-year-old boy. He's so small. If we had any clean blood, we would have used it already. Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. We need it all. As a parent, could you sign the permission slip to give your boy away? Could you walk inside this church building and see your son sitting on the examination table and hear him say, Hey, Dad, Mom, what's up? What's wrong? Could you walk up to your boy 
grab his hand, look him in the eyes and say, Son, you know we would not let anything happen to you that just did not have to be. You know we love you. And maybe as doctors and nurses and technicians say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, we need to get going. We need to get started. Could you walk out of here and hear your boy say, Mom, Dad, don't leave me. Mom, Dad, why are you leaving? Daddy! Daddy, why have you forsaken me? And maybe down at the church a week later when they have a big old memorial service for your boy who gave his life for the world. Well, you understand it when neighbors and friends say, ah, I don't think I'll go because I'm just too tired. Or when people talk or chat or maybe stare at their watches as your boy is being remembered. I mean, as a parent, wouldn't you just want to stand up and say, hey folks, this was my son. This was my boy. He gave his life for the world. This is serious. And see, ladies and gentlemen, I can't help but believe that there's a God sitting up in heaven looking down upon us and He is saying, uh, look at the cross. Would you look at the cross? That's my boy. That's my son. This is dead. Serious, Jesus. Serious death means serious commitment to a serious church. And it's time that we stop playing church, going through the motions, and take Jesus to the lost and dying world. So I'm asking you, have you been playing church? Have you been going through the motions? Honestly, are you all in for the one who was all in for us? If I understand this book correctly, only two of these chairs, people, are going to heaven. Chair number one, and chair number three. Chair number one, the person who's never become a Christian, never been baptized into Christ, but safe in the arms of Jesus. He's not saved because he's never been lost. The two-year-old boy, the three-year-old girl, the babies in the audience, they would be sitting right here, safe with Christ. Chair number three, the baptized believer who's all in for Jesus. So where do you sit today? Which chair are you sitting in? If I were to call your name, hey John, Joseph, Sheila, Jennifer. If I were to call your name and ask you to come down one of these aisles to the front and sit in the chair that best describes you and the Lord, honestly, which chair would you sit in? I want you to imagine you died last night. Last night you died. And in just a moment, your name's going to be called before King Jesus in judgment. Are you comfortable with the chair in which you're sitting right now? Or would you have to scream and cry for mercy? You say, Brother Keith, I, I tell you what I need to do. I've never become a Christian. I've been over here. I I I've been in the wrong seat. I, I could not raise my hand a few minutes ago. I'm not a baptized believer, and I tell you what I'm going to do. When we sing the invitation song today, 
I'm going to step out and I'm going to come forward and I'm going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And today, this very day, I'm going to be baptized into Christ. Or you might be sitting over here and you might be thinking, you know, I tell you, I've not, I, I've not been in the right seat. I, I've been in the wrong chair. And I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I, I'm a baptized believer. And I'm going to go forward today and I'm going to say, uh, man, I just need to be prayed for. Pray for me. I, I, want to get, I want to get started again. I want to be all in for Him today. I'm going to respond. No, you're not. Not today. Not today. You know why? You died last night. Last night you died. And in just a moment, your name's going to be called before King Jesus in judgment. I'm asking you, are you comfortable right now with the chair in which you're sitting? Or would you have to scream and cry for mercy? Would you have to say, Jesus, not judgment now? Give me one more verse of an invitation song. One more plea from a preacher. I'll do what's right. I'll go forward. I'll respond. And maybe Jesus extends a hand and says, Oh, 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 I loved you so. But now it's too late. Depart from me, you cursed, and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, friend, you know as well as I that the premise today is false. You did not die last night. You did not die last night. You're very much alive. And you can change chairs by leaving your pew, coming to the front to do what's right. You want a key to having a great church family? It's a very simple key. We, you, I, we must be all in for Him. Let me tell you what I've been praying. I don't know what you've been praying. Let me tell you what I've been praying. I've been praying as we sing this invitation song that somebody in this audience would lead the way on the singing of the very first verse. I have seen it in sermon after sermon after sermon. It usually takes one person to respond. One person to lead the way. One person to come and say, man, I'm ready to be born again. One person to come and say, I'm a baptized believer, but I've been in the wrong chair, and I just want to do better, and I want to live better. It takes that one person to break the ice. And when one responds, guess what happens? Usually there's another. And then another. And even more and more and more. What's your name, sir? John. I've been praying for John. John did not wait to the invitation song. I tell you, folks, some of us don't need to wait for the invitation song. We, some of us don't need... Can I be honest with you? Some of us don't need to walk down a church aisle. We need to run down a church aisle. It's that serious. So where are you sitting right now? The ice has been broken. We have uh, dozens who need to respond. You want to be a great church family? Be all in for Jesus. Would you? Thank you, ma'am. Others need to come. We're singing for you. Don't just stand and sing as if I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay. Honestly, where do you sit today? Let's stand, let's sing, you come. There's a